mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, as we follow through with this evangelist and his testimony of the life of Jesus and those who are following him, and actually, by way of review, notice that they are following him. They are in the way with him. They are learning to minister as they're led by Jesus. Listen to me, because there's great parallels here. We are led by the Holy Spirit, as according to uh, Romans 8, 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Well, the Spirit of God now teaches us to minister. The Spirit of God leads us where to minister. And this is what Jesus is doing. His face is set like flint now toward Jerusalem, where he continues to tell them what's going to happen. Because, see, he's God. He knows the future. So as they are walking, as they are in the way with him, as they're learning to be ministers, he tells them about heaven. He tells them about life. He tells them about death. He tells them about hell. He's telling them these, everything about God that they need to know. And he tells them they have to come as little children. And as they're going, they're ministering to people. He's healing people. They're seeing His power. They're learning faith. They're growing. And it actually, in our last text, if you'll remember, that, that they're in the way with Him. And then they come along, and here's, here is uh, blind Bartimaeus. And see, as you and I are being led by the Spirit of God... People are going to come along and they're blind. They're spiritually blind and they're sitting there and they're crying out and they need something. And when they see their need for Jesus, it's up for you and I to minister to them. We're learning as we're led by the Spirit. And there's people everywhere that are blind. They're stumbling for the slaughter. And Jesus is just practically leading them as they learn a love relationship, as they learn to, to walk by faith, as they learn to grow and go and, and be on the mission that God has called them to, the winning of souls. Here's blind Bartimaeus. And when he closed in 52, 1052, look what Jesus did. See, because you and I have a choice. What does he do? He heals him, and he told him to go his way. And what was Bartimaeus' choice? He followed Jesus. See, when your eyes are open, and you actually are born again, you become like a little child. You become a, a a child that would say, I need to know again. Everything that I know now is trash. 
I need to follow Jesus. I need to be led by His Spirit. I need to enter into His ministry. I need to become His ambassador. And if I'm spending time with Him, I'll be able to be a witness and give testimony about Him. And I'll be able to be used in the ministry that He has given me for saving souls. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And then straight away he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Listen, listen. You might say that you believe in Jesus, but now you have a choice. Are you going to stay in your way and go your way, or are you going to follow Jesus? And if you're staying in your way, and you're still doing what you've always done and making your plans and dealing with your toys, then you can't be following Jesus. You can't be following Jesus. And so therefore, you're not being sanctified. Therefore, you're not growing in a relationship. Therefore, you are not putting on the armor of God and you are subject to deception and you're still following the father of lies. There's only two ways to go. You drop everything, you humble yourself, you become like a little child, and you begin to enter in the way with Him because of this great love and this mercy that He's given us, or you continue to fight Him and ignore Him. In fact, listen, I wrote down in my notes, is it possible to believe in God and not be saved, not be born again? The demons believe and they tremble. They don't obey is it possible to believe? I mean, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, not just believe in your heart, because people say, I believe in Jesus. Well, what do you believe about him? Are you confessing with your mouth? See, they worked in tandem. It's not just your mouth, but it's your heart. It's the way you're going. It's what you're doing. So it is possible to believe and trust that Jesus is the Messiah and say it with your physical mouth but never let your heart follow there's an inside and outside work going on they both need to work in tandem it cannot just be that you say just like the rest of the culture and the rest of the people in fact if you do a poll the poll will be totally wrong because everybody thinks they believe in jesus but again proverbially if i told you that there was a bomb in this room and then I said, okay, turn to chapter 10. You probably wouldn't react. But if I said, I just got a phone call and there's a bomb in this room and I took off running, you would follow me. You would believe that I was serious about that bomb. So what a person does reveals the person's heart and what they truly believe. Notice that the blind man, when his eyes were open, physically and spiritually, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, began to follow Jesus. He was in the way with the Lord. It's so important that we understand that because, quite frankly, anything else could be total deception and culturanity. If we've said yes to God, We've agreed with his terms, his conditions. We've agreed that he's Lord, Romans 10, 9, and 10, which means kurios, supreme in authority, and that we're back under his authority in his house for his glory to do his ministry of saving souls. 
Listen to me. This is what you've got to wipe out of your mind. Listen, this is very difficult. Indoctrination will kill you. Relationship will give you life. Indoctrination of the culture you grew up in, whether it was church or secular, when you're teaching the Word of God wrongly, and you're making excuses and concessions for everything that you want to do in life, and, and it's watered down, you get indoctrinated into this system that I feel good about what I'm doing, and you form a God and a Word of God that fits your lifestyle, and you never follow Jesus. You follow your own humanism. You follow your own understanding. You follow your own ways, and you convince yourself that you're okay when you're not. But when you're following the Word of God, the roadmap, Emmanuel, you're being led by the Spirit, and you're trusting Him, it's much harder to get off of the path. It's much harder to go astray. Don't, don't get me wrong, you can still stumble, you can still get lost, you can still fall asleep, but God will never leave you nor forsake you. If you're earnestly getting into the word, prayer, and fellowship, if you're earnestly saying, Lord, that's not what I want to do, I'm a new creation. Lord, I want to take thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Lord, I want to punish all disobedience. I want to be on your side, following your way, not my way. It's serious. Work it out with fear and trembling. It's serious. It's not a game. It's not a culture. It's a life and death situation. The culture, the church culture, has taught us that all you have to do is that one Sunday, is you just walk forward to the altar and you repeat after that pastor, and then everything's going to be okay. Listen, everything will be okay if you do the rest. Not because you did it, but because the Spirit of God came in and you came into a new house and you began to follow Jesus. I, wanna, I just want to take you there quick. Let's pray first because I'm ahead of myself. Father, wake us up. Father, that we would follow your word. That we would believe your word. We would trust your word. And Lord, that we would know that man have clay feet. And we would know that we want to have that love relationship. We want to be prepared as a bride. We want to be in the way with you, not in the way with another crowd that's going the wrong way. We want to know for sure that your spirit is leading us and not some other spirit that's deceiving us. So pour out your spirit upon us. Have your way with us. Minister to us so that we can follow you and end up in the place that we're positionally already seated with Christ. Thank you for that inheritance. Thank you for that hope. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Quickly look with me. It's 1 Peter 1. And then we'll come back to our text. I'm way ahead of myself. I'm going to do it. Uh, uh, there I go. First Peter 1. We're going to begin in verse 10. 
I just want to read this to you because it actually has what I was just talking about in it, about obeying the Father. Because we've been into it, we've been brought into a new house. Now look at it, and it's Peter, um, Cephas, the old rock, the one who made the confession upon this rock I will build my church. What, what confession? That you are the Messiah. The Christ, the Son of the living God. 1.10, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. Are you inquiring and searching carefully? Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified. Listen, is the Spirit of God in you? Then this is what they would be doing. The Spirit would be leading you. And searching and indicating when you used to be testifying beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you. How? By the Holy Spirit sent from where? Heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. Therefore, because of that, because of what we have as a history, Old Testament, all the prophets, the things that were going on. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Deal with your thoughts. Take thoughts captive. Be sober. Not talking about drinking. It's sober in your thinking. How do you do that? You study the truth and you don't listen to the lie, which will make you drunk and in confusion. It doesn't line up. You do stuff like start riots and defund the police. And then you want to, you go, you go, wait a minute. We were going to get rid of guns, but you created the biggest gun selling market ever. And you do things with a reprobate mind when you're not listening to the word of God. That's not sober, that's drunk. And what do you do when you do that? You're going to rest. You're going to have peace. You're going to rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at uh, revealing the uncovering of Jesus Christ. Because you want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. You want it to be uncovered. You want it to be revealed as obedient children. See that? Why? Because we've been delivered into a house. The problem where we were disobedient, the choice was this. The choice was this. It was a choice of Eve. Listen to me. Eve had a choice. She knew truth, and then she was given another way that was a lie. And she made the choice to believe the lie because it was easier for the flesh. And she chose the wrong one. And now we inherit that sin nature. And now when you're delivered back into a house, it's to be obedient to the Word of God, to be obedient to the Father. And then He gives you the Spirit to help you be obedient. Make no mistake, you're going to be disobedient. Think about it when you're talking to a child and you're telling them, oh, you have to obey, mommy, you have to obey, daddy. Oh, you have to obey. Listen, they might look at you and go, I want to obey because that hurt when you spanked my butt. But their heart wants to do what they want to do. That's why we're called to deny ourselves, to deny what we want to do and enter into what he's doing and follow along behind him. And he'll begin to conform us into his image. Salvation, make no mistake, is by believing alone, trusting alone in the blood of Jesus. 
but we're also supposed to rest our hope fully up on this grace that is there when your eyes are open and you say, I believe, and you do it as obedient children. You don't go back out and continue being the same disobedient children that are living for yourself and for the devil. You come with a heart that wants to be obedient, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, not knowing when you didn't know to your former lusts were against God. You're an enemy of God. But now the revelation, the uncovering, now you know Jesus is the Christ. And now you want to be obedient, children, because of the spirit of obedience that's in you. You don't continue to conform. Now you want to be transformed. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Well, what's holiness? See, we need to learn the knowledge of God. We need to see what holiness is. We need to trust the Holy Spirit. And if you call on the Father, who are you calling on? Heavenly Father. Let me teach you how to pray, Jesus said. Our Father who art in heaven. Listen to me, we're calling on a Father because that's where Jesus is delivering us back to, to the Father's house. He's delivering us back into right relationship like in the garden. And so if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, wait a minute, I'm not saved by work, this is the evidence of your faith. Faith without works is dead faith. Well, what work is it, Greg? It's the ministry of reconciliation of souls. What work is it, Greg? It's what God is doing with the Holy Spirit in you as He sends you, as He teaches you, as you're led by Him and you're in the way. But your heart has to be turned toward that Father's house if you're of His house. Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, reverence, respect. See, you, you know, again, I was thinking of it this morning. It's, it's the same thing that always happens. Let's get married. I love you. I love you. No, you don't. Love is something you grow in. You know, when you first give your life to Jesus, you might believe he opened your eyes. He revealed it. He drawed you. He gave you grace to say yes. But you're not in a love relationship yet. You have to grow in it as you spend time with him. And you learn what he's done. And you see your ugliness. And you see what he's forgiven you of. And then you grow in that love relationship, in that marriage. And then you begin to understand that grace. And now the fear turns to reverence and respect and awe. And you go, oh my goodness, look how ugly I am apart from him. And he still loves me. Even though that's amazing grace. And your love changes. So you spend your time here throughout your time. Your conduct should be in fear. Working out your salvation in fear and trembling. Why? Knowing. You experience it. Gnoskos. Knowing that you were not redeemed. You were not purchased with corruptible things like silver and gold. That's not what we should be pursuing. If God gives it to you, if you, can, if you have it, yeah, use it for His glory. From your aimless shooting at nothing from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. We were handed that down. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What? We're going to get there. 
listen, a blemish, listen, blemish is integrity, truth. It's complete, it's full, it's perfect, it's pure. No blemish. See, when you're born, think about it, every mother knows this thought when they have a baby and they're looking to see if there's four fingers and a thumb, four fingers and a thumb, four toes and a, they're looking to see if there's any blemish on that baby. Listen to me. Blemish is something you're born. You and I were born with blemish, the sin nature. Christ had no blemish. He was as a lamb with no blemish and no spot. He never committed sin. He never had any. You see, see, a spot would be to you and I like scars, things that we did after we were born. He's got no spots, no blemish. He's perfect. He's holy. He's God. He's the lamb of God. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Make that personal. For you, if you were the only one, he was foreordained and has been manifested in these last times just for you. Who through him believe, pistio, faith, in God, the Father, who raised him from the dead because he was crucified. He gave up his life and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And, and I can keep going. Since, you're, since you have purified your souls in obeying. Listen, how do you purify your souls? You obey the word of truth and you believe in Jesus. Positionally, it's done. Practically, you begin to turn your hearts toward obeying the word of God, obeying the Father, obeying His provision to transform you into a child of God. Now, with that laid out, let's look back at Mark chapter 11. I wanted to lay that out, though, because we're getting ready to go back and look at where all of these come from. Because, again, your Old Testament uh, uh, testimonies and experiences and things that are written down for you and I in this generation to read as examples, they have underlying doctrine in them that you can see lines up with new testament doctrine because god never changes the word never changes oh i didn't read that did i i'm sorry back that what was that first peter 117 i should have read that i had it written down in my notes and i neglected it so let's turn there again he says there in 124 all flesh is as grass Huh, so we're flesh, we're like grass. We just grow on the field. All And all the glory of man as the flower of grass. Here we're growing, the grass withers and the flower falls away. Everything that we do, every fruit that we have, everything going on, if we stay flesh, dies. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And that's the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Listen, so we're all going to die, but the word of God is not. The truth is going to stay the same. Old Testament, New Testament, same God who eventually judges rebellion. He offers his love. He offers relationship. He offers a way out. We're all going to die one day. The question is, are we following God his Messiah, His way, His provision, 
when we die. If not, cast into eternal fire where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. If we are, we have life in eternity with him. Or we'll rule and reign with the millennial kingdom. I mean, eye is not seen. We don't even know. We can't even say it. We can't speak what is going to be prepared for us. So with that, you guys are like, how did he ever get there? Chapter 11, Mark, verse 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem, which means teaching peace, to Bethpage, which means fig house. See, that's going to be important to know that Bethpage means fig house when we get to verse 12, which we're not going to get there today when he curses a fig tree. And then Bethany, which means date house. I don't know if I've ever ate dates. Anybody ever ate dates? No. It's interesting what some of these names mean. Because we're going to draw near teaching peace and we can bear fruit. We got a taste of the fruit. At the Mount of Olives, I just better keep going or I'll get lost. He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has set. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied at the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing, loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying... Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's pray. Father, lead us in your word. And help us to receive your testimony and to go and be witnesses. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. Notice he sent them out in twos. There's accountability in twos. Jesus always sent them in twos. If you are by yourself and you think you're okay, you need to consider well the gospel. Listen to me. If you're married and you're running around hanging out and driving in cars with other women, you need to consider well what you're doing because you're tempting yourself. And you have no accountability. And at best, the devil can start a rumor and destroy your integrity. At worst, you could commit sin and adultery against your wife. Jesus always sent them in twos. There's power in that number. 
And you know what? Here's the important thing about twos that most people will not even talk about. If two people are talking about it, and, and, and I begin to move away, maybe quenching the spirit, following my desire, the other person who's still listening to the spirit and being led by the spirit can counsel, can correct, can say, let's pray about this because I think you're leading the wrong way. And listen to me, if you're married, and I'm just going in depth here, if you're married, you become one vessel. So just you and your spouse is not counsel because you both are moving in the same direction. You still need somebody else to help you. If all the counsel you're getting is from your own house, from your own spouse, it can be the same. You can't lead your home and be a dominant leader and then your wife begin to follow you and agree to what you're saying and then because you say it, think that everything's right because you said it and she's saying okay. You can't make plans and plan it for 10 years long and, and then at the 10 years you've both already set your hearts on it and say this is still godly. It's a moment-to-moment, day-by-day, trusting the Lord, a constancy in faith where you're asking the Holy Spirit because you might have made them plans when they told you that you need to be career-minded, you need to get an education, you need to plan it out, you need to write it down, and you need to work the plan. And then you just work the Holy Spirit right out of it. That's what our culture does. Oh, let's put them on the board. They make great leaders because look how they've walked in life and they planned everything and walked it out. Well, they're doing it in the flesh. Doesn't necessitate that the Spirit did that because they have something, because they followed a plan. Seek counsel. In the multitude of counsel, wage your wars. But make sure the counsel lines up with the Word of God. And notice they're in twos, because at the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be established. At least two witnesses. Now, I'm not saying don't ever do anything in your home just because you and your wife agree on it. Make sure it's godly, though. And he said to them, notice it's the word of God speaking live there here on the pages, go. because we've been told to go and make disciples, into the village opposite you. And as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has set. Loose it and bring it. The colt is a filly. It's a young donkey. I won't use the word the King James uses. I don't think it's appropriate. It's a colt. But it's Never had anybody set on it. Jesus was born virgin womb. He's going to ride in on this very important date on a virgin colt that's never been ridden. At the end of this last week of his ministry, I know I can call it, I mean, it's never been ridden, it's pure. At the end of this week, which this is the last week of his earthly ministry and physical, he's going to be buried in a virgin tomb. Never anybody laid in it. Just interesting facts. They're pure. They're undefiled. They haven't been 
Now, there are people that say that Jesus pre-planned this. Don't try to make a miracle out of it because Jesus pre-planned this. And he'd already talked to these guys, and he said on the 10th of Nisan, have your colt sitting out there and tie it to that because I'm going to send two disciples. Or he said others might make it a miracle. Listen, this is God's kingdom. He knows where the donkeys are at. He knows where they're going to put them at. He knows everything about the details of this planet. I don't know that it has to be a miracle. It's just God doing what God does. When you know everything. So he tells them to loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? See, if he had pre-planned it, nobody would ever say that. Because they would have known there was two guys coming to get it. So we can kick that idea completely out. Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it. Now, the important thing is you have to know is that this is not just a general word for Lord, but it's the word kurios. It means supreme in authority. It means Lord of all. So they are going to to accomplish the mission in his name. Very important because a lot of people go out to live for Jesus and go out to do things, and they never go in his name. They never go underneath the Lord Kurios doing what he has called them to do. They just make up their own plans and go do things. So the power and the authority isn't always there because you're doing what you want to do instead of what God has told you to do. See, he's told us to go and make disciples of all nations. He's told us to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he's told us, commanded us how to do it. Teach them to obey to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There are specific instructions. And when we add to or take away because we're afraid we might offend somebody, it doesn't work out right. You end up with culturanity. You end up with some soft, crossless gospel that has nothing to do with dying to self and taking up your cross and following Jesus. You end up with some religion that misses the whole point of coming back into a father's house under his authority and obeying him because he's supreme in authority. And there's no other way but his way. Even if he gives you the choice to go your way. If your eyes are open you'll know which way you want to go with him. There's no other way. So they went their way. What's their way? The way that he told them to go. To the city opposite. And found the colt just as he said. Because he's not a liar. He's no lie in him. Everything that he says is true. And there it was tied to the door outside on the street and they loosed it now listen to me i want to stop there because there's some important stuff that you're not seeing there listen there's a door right mentioned in the text jesus just happens to be the door and when you're going his way you're going the way of the door the gate listen because really the king james says this in a place where two ways met that's where that cult was you have a choice to obey and do it his way at the door, and the two ways are meeting there, the crossroads. 
See, don't say that in your new King James. It says it in the King James, though. At a place where two ways meet. Now, you can do it your way and say, I'm obeying because I got it. But you didn't do it his way. You made up your own way to do it, and you still got the colt, and you still brought it back. But you're not doing it following his way. You're still following your way. And you're saying, I'm reading this part of the Bible and this part of the Bible, and I like this part, but I don't like that part. I like obeying here, but I don't want to obey here. You know, children will do that. They'll obey everything that's fun, but they don't want to obey when it's time to work. Spouses will do that. They'll submit when it's something they want to do, but then when they don't want to do it, they put up a, a front. That's not submission. That's not obedience. That's still good old-fashioned self, doing what you want to do and not doing the hard parts. There's two ways. There's a door. Jesus is the door. He's the way out of this world and the way into heaven. And he gives us instruction. And when you get to the crossroads, you have to follow Jesus. You have to do it his way. If you do it your way, you're still following your way. And you're not in the way with Christ. There's a very fine line there. But we have to understand that fine line, and that's what keeps us drawing near in prayer. That's what keeps us in the Word. That's what keeps us letting others keep us accountable, the two, the fellowship. That's what keeps us in a place of humility because we know we can't see the spiritual realm, and we know that there's an enemy trying to rob, kill, and destroy us. What is he trying to do? Keep us from following in the way. Keep us from the inheritance that's seated in heavenly places. So know that it says that there's two ways there. Are you following your way? Or are you doing what blind Bartimaeus did when he was healed and he followed Jesus in the way? See, and again, a lot of times I don't like the the new King James. There's times when I don't like the King James. You know, in chapter 10, it kept saying road when it's really the way. It's important. That was the first name of the Christian church was the way. Why? Because they were in the way with Jesus. The the important part is not whether you're a Baptist. The important part is not whether you're a Methodist. The important part is are you in the way with Jesus? Are you being led by the Spirit of God? Because as many as are are the children of God. And the Spirit of God would want you in the Word of God to understand the consistency of God and that He doesn't change. And that he's brought you back into his house and he loves you with a never-ending love and he'll never leave you. But he wants you to come under his authority so he can use you as a vessel of honor. So he can, he, you, he can purify you and transform you. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosening the colt? You ever go to do the work of God and you ever go to... to to share with somebody and there's people asking you questions that are just trying to get in the way? Or maybe they're just questioning. You have to be ready to answer them. You have to be ready to give an answer to every man for the hope that is within you. So they just asked a question. Oh, okay, I'm leaving then. Ask me a question. I'm out of here. I ain't doing the will of God now because I'm mad at somebody for asking me a question. 
Look at this. They could have got mad. They could have did it their own way and got mad because somebody questioned their motives, questioned what they were doing, questioned their, why are you here? Why are you touching my colt? Listen, we've got to be ready for this stuff. We have to know we're being led by the Spirit. People are going to resist God. They're going to resist what God's telling you to do. And there's also there going to be those tests where God just asks you, what are you doing? And your answer should be what God's told you to do, not some made-up answer, not some excuse, not some victimized person who's given an excuse about what happened. We're not victims. We've been set free from victimization. We were victims in our sin nature of the devil. But if you know Jesus, you've been set free. And to sit around and blame somebody else for your plight in life is what you get when you're reprobate mind. That's what you see in the streets today, blaming somebody else. Why is it so easy to believe? Because it's the sin nature. We want to be victims. We want everything for free. We don't want to work for anything. And we want to blame somebody Look at the garden. Even God's children who were believing and choosing to follow the devil. It's the devil made me do it. It's that woman you gave me. I'm a victim. Help me. That's sin. Christians shouldn't be like that. Christians have been set free. They're being led by the Spirit. There's no more excuse. There's no more victimization. We're resting in salvation. And that's Bible 101. And yet we have Christians, Christians, saying the Holy Spirit told me to kneel. The Holy Spirit told me to kneel and to deal with blacks so we can give reparations. Holy Spirit didn't tell you nothing. You're hard-hearted. You're not listening to the Holy Spirit. And I'm referring, of course, to to coach of the Indianapolis Colts who said the Holy Spirit told him to kneel and that it was a white problem that needs to take care of black people. It's a sin problem. It's not a skin problem. It's good old-fashioned victimization and blaming, and then somebody's got to pay for it. Jesus already paid for it. Somebody's got to receive it and walk in it and be a witness of it. And present the truth just like Jesus said. In his name. Because he's Lord. And there's power in that name. Watch what happens. They ask. What are you doing? Loosing the coat. What do they do on verse 6? Go away. We're doing the ministry of the Lord. Leave us alone. You can't question us. Sorry. I don't know whose voice that was. In my head. Verse 6. And they spoke to them even. It says just here, but the word is even in the King James as Jesus had commanded. Notice that? They spoke the truth, the word of God, just what Jesus said to do. Don't make up some other stuff. Don't create some other stuff. Don't be a, don't be worried about offending people. Just obey God. They spoke even as Jesus had commanded. Not their own script, not a soft message, not a hymn-hawing message. So they let them go. You want to be free to go to the mission field? You want to be free to go and make disciples? You want to do it by the Spirit of God and speak as God says to speak and don't make it up. 
Don't make your own plans. Don't just say whatever you think sounds good, but share truth. And there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the Lord. He's given you that authority. All of it was given to Him by the Father. And if you're really in His house and wanting to obey, you're led by the Spirit. And you will go and you'll have that authority. You don't have to say, well, I guess you're right that you're cold and you got a bigger bank account than me and you got a better job than me and you're dressed better than me. So I'll just digress and back off. I won't do the word of God no more. I'll come up with my own. I'm not saying be a sailor either, but you were sent by God to say a specific thing by God. And when they did, what happened? All the chains are cut free. Oh, take it then. We'll let you go. And make disciples. We'll let you go and take the cult. Doesn't say this person knew Jesus. Doesn't say this person was living for God. But this is all God's. Everything down here. You don't have to worry about possessions. What you have to worry about is going where God wants you to go. And where He leads. Where God guides, He will provide. I know it's a crazy cliche. But if you get your focus on making up some new script because you want to make sure you have provision instead of just going and doing what he commanded you to do by faith. It's going to come back up in this chapter. Just obeying, just saying when he does the fig tree. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the work of the Lord. If he's already doing it and you're in the way with him, then it's already being accomplished and you just get to go along. Listen. Listen. Newsflash. Newsflash. Man loses donkey in city opposite of Bethany. It just wandered off. Oh, we found it. It's setting under Jesus. He caused all the animals to go into the ark to come to Noah. He could have made this donkey... Just walk to where he's at. But he wanted people to be involved and learn to obey and train their heart to be ministers and to speak the truth. Not just say, I believe in Jesus and never confess with your mouth what Jesus told you to say. Never confess with your mouth anything that Jesus says. I just believe in him. I'm okay. It's not the gospel. Well, it is if it's a deathbed conversion. But it's not for any of his living children that are supposed to be growing and being sanctified and used in the body of Christ. What happened to your donkey? I don't know. It wandered off somewhere. I didn't even get a chance to brand it. Nobody wrote it. It's a virgin donkey. I know. I'm not talking about its reproductive parts. I'm talking about by the fact that it's never been ridden. People use that word virgin all the time like that. My maiden voyage. I'll use a different word if you like it. I know you guys got problems with words sometimes. They've taken words and they've turned them into bad things instead of good things. Then they brought the cult to Jesus. See, that's what, if, you're, if you're doing something for Jesus, he gets the glory. He gets the reward. He gets the results. They came back. They're obeying. They're doing it. They're coming back to Jesus. They brought the coat to Jesus, and then they threw their clothes on it. Now, I, I can't. Um, 
It's an opinion. That if I'm going and obeying Jesus, I'm throwing my earthly garments on what he's riding. And I'm being clothed more. As I obey, I'm being clothed more with him. As a bride, I'm being prepared more. And I'm taking off my clothing. He talks about it in Colossians. talks about it in Ephesians 6. We're taking off who we are and we're putting on. And we do it by showing we're the child. There's evidence that we're under the authority of God in our heart. Because we're obeying. I know that's a deep thought. I can't repeat it. But it's caught on that recording back there. And you can listen to it again later. But all through our Christian life, as we tarry here, we're to be reminded that we were purchased, ransomed with the blood of Jesus. And we're to be taking off who we are and humbling ourselves and putting on, being purified and transformed into His image. And it's done by obedience. It's not done by saying, I said a prayer. Don't judge me, man. It's the evidence. Humility is the evidence. Obedience is humility. It's bowing down. Moses was the most humblest man in the Bible. The Bible testifies. Why? Because he obeyed God when he heard God's word. He humbled himself. He clothed himself in what God wanted to do. He did what God wanted to do. He had an anger problem. He didn't get to see the promised land because of it. The earthly one. I should have said promised with a D. He got to see the promise with no D. Because God's faithful with his promises. So they throw their clothes on it and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road and others cut down leafy branches, palm branches. as this Palm Sunday from the trees and spread them on the road. Listen to me. This is not just any day, any week, any place. This, this is the 10th in the sun, and you guys have heard this before. It's the last week of his earthly life, except for when he's resurrected after three days in the grave, and he spends 40 days speaking to the disciples of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. It's Acts chapter 1. And he's staying at Bethany, at Lazarus' house, who he raised from the dead, and Mary and Martha are there. And we're given all these facts and he knows what he's going to do. He knows he's going to be betrayed, spit on, beaten, mocked, and nailed to a tree and die for you and me so that he could raise again and there'd be evidence of his obedience. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Listen, it's not obedience if something hurts and you don't want to do it because that's too hard. You don't learn anything from the easy road. You learn the lessons when you die to self and you obey even though it's interrupting your life, even though it hurts. That's how he learned perfect obedience. Wait a minute, he was perfect already. He did it for you and me so that we would learn that in obeying, we learn how to, how to have perfect obedience in the Father's house and we train our hearts to do His will. You can't just say, I'm okay because I said a prayer. And go on living any way you want. That would be just like Brian Bartimaeus going back to begging on the street corner when he has his eyesight. He's no longer blind. He's no longer needs to beg. He can get a job now. He can see to do it. He can begin to be a witness and give testimony of the saving power and the healing power and the kingdom of God. If he'll listen. 
So listen, they did all of this, and you know it best. This is a book written uh, by Mark, really, to, to Gentiles. So it doesn't have some of the things that you might necessarily see in other texts, the other Gospels. All four of them, by the way, cover this because it's the most important event after the virgin birth. It's happening exactly on the same day that it's supposed to happen on, in the same moment. And all through, preordained before eternity, he knew that that coat was going to be there. And he knew that his disciples were going to obey and go get it. And he knew that those guys were going to say, what are you doing loosening that coat? The Lord has need of it. And we're talking about all before the other 5,000 years of history happened. He knew it because he's God. And this is the tent of Nassan. Listen to me. It's important that we know that. It's the tent of Abib. The first month of the Jewish calendar. Because Jesus right now, as they yell, let's look at it. Let's look. Let's keep reading. Then those who went before and those who followed. Notice there's some in the front. There's, there's, listen, there's many saints that went before us that testify that he was the Messiah. And those who followed, they cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Name, authority, character, nature, will. The Lord, kurios, Lord of all. Hosanna means save now. They're choosing him as the Lamb of God. On the 10th of Nisan, they chose the lambs for the Passover festival. Listen, he didn't just enter Jerusalem this day for any reason. It was because the Old Testament Passover festival, it's Exodus 12, if you will, turn there. We've been here before. We have to go here again. This always has to be done. You have to understand that this is not just... Oh, Jesus was wandering around and he happened to bounce into Jerusalem on the 10th of Nisan. Everybody's preparing for the Passover festival and he just happened to show up. No, for this purpose, he was born. What purpose were you born for? What's your gifts? What's your talents? What's your ability? What part of the body do you have? Who are you witnessing to? Where are you giving testimony at? What kind of a cult are you? Are you, are, are you a chaste virgin cult that Jesus is riding on and going to other people, being presented to the masses? Or are you just doing your own thing? What do you got on your back? What's on your back? What are you carrying? Your sin still? Your sin nature? Or are you carrying Jesus to people? We've been betrothed to Christ as chaste virgins under the blood. Listen to me, it's Exodus 12. This is what we want to see. They're yelling, save now, save now. It's, it's, it's uh, Psalms 118, where David records it. But this is all about him coming and fulfilling the Passover festival. Exodus chapter 12. Remember the ten plagues? They're in Egypt. They're in bondage. They went down there like 73 people, and now they're two and a half million people. And when they went down there with, with uh, um, Joseph, somebody shake your head, yes. Joseph, not Joshua. I always get them mixed up in my brain somehow. 
because uh, they're types. They're both types of Jesus. And so I, get, I sometimes say, I want to make sure I'm saying the right word. Joseph, who was, who was rejected by his brothers and, and sold into slavery, He's a type of Christ, the nation of Israel. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Joseph, just like Jesus, was rejected by his brothers and sold as a slave to rescue others for 30 pieces of silver. And so he becomes head in Egypt, which is a type of the world. And Pharaoh's a type of the devil. And 430 years later, four generations later, according to Genesis 15, God told him that four generations later, I'll rescue you. He comes through the person of Moses, which means one drawed out, and he drawed out his people from the world, from Egypt. But he sent a messenger, a witness, someone given testimony. Let my people go. And Pharaoh said, okay, you can go, but don't take your possessions. Uh Uh-uh. Everything I own has to go with me in order to worship God. Okay, you can go, but don't take your children. Uh Uh-uh. See, we've been given a command to parent our children properly, to raise them in the way that they're supposed to go. If they would have left them with Pharaoh, Pharaoh would have been raising them in the institution and indoctrination of schools to teach them that there is no God. They were called out to worship God with their whole, everything that they have, body, soul, and spirit, and their possessions. And you have to take a stand and you have to go and be truthful for God with what he told you to do, not partially. So God brings ten plagues upon them in this. The last plague is the death of the firstborn. The last plague is the death of the firstborn. Why is that significant? It's an indictment against every false god. The Egyptians had 3,000 temples and 1,000 false gods that they worshipped just like today and we try to make them all on par with god but that's a lie there's one true god he gave his son to set us free and he says again today let my people go and if you want to be free and go you have to abide in his word john 8 31 and 32 jesus said to those who believe if you abide in my words you're my disciples indeed and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free Are you free today? So when the 10th plague come, because Pharaoh would not let them go and he kept holding on to them, the 10th plague is the death of all the priests of those thousand temples because they dedicated their firstborn to be their priest, to indoctrinate and tell others the lies of all their false gods. And with that, God's bringing judgment upon them. He's going to bring judgment again. This is a type This is a type. It's interesting. Let's read Exodus 12, 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses. See, the Lord tells us, and Moses is the one who goes with Aaron, his priest, into the land of Egypt, the world, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. 
and it's the month of Nisan, or Abib. It's March to April for us in that area. Um, it's where we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Speak to all the congregation, ecclesia. It's not a, a, the Greek is ecclesia. It's the called out ones. It's the congre those who congregate of Israel, um, governed by God. Speak to all those governed by God, saying, On the tenth of this month, Nisan, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for his household. Who's your father? Whose house are you in today? And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to him, his house, take it according to the number of the, look, mine says persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Now listen to me. The reason I said that, mine says persons. It's verse 4 of Exodus 12 because the King James says this. Take it according to the number of souls. Because it's all about souls. This festival was set up over the souls. And everything that you and I are doing is set up about ministry to go and rescue souls. God is concerned about the souls. It says persons here. It means breathing or man. But it says souls. And I think that's a better because it keeps our mind focused on that our ministry that Jesus has got us in the way with him on is for the reconciliation of souls to God. Number of souls, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Five, your lamb shall be without blemish. Remember earlier, the blemish? Listen to what this means in the, in the, in the uh, Hebrew. It's really good. It means entire. E-N-T-I-R-E. Your lamb shall be entire. Entire what? Has integrity. It's truth. It's without blemish. It's complete. It's without spot. It's sound. It's perfect. It has sincerity to it. It's upright and it's whole. It's undefiled. That's what that word means. That means they had to look at it. That means they had to inspect it. See, as we read in Mark chapter 11, the triumphal entry, well, it wasn't very triumphal, was it? He's going to end in his death. It's going to end in his burial. And when he gets up out of the graves, he goes in triumph with a parade of people who got up out of the grave. As every conquering king would. He comes as a lamb. He's coming back as a conquering king. And it was triumphal because he overcome death. Sin and death. He redeems souls. Anybody that would believe in him and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead shall be saved. Listen. So it's without blemish. Blemish is what you're born with. He was perfectly born from a virgin womb. His father was God. Perfect. A male... That just killed some Bibles out there that's got females as the. Just killed some real quick there, didn't it? The Messiah has to be a male. Of the first year 
or firstborn is the better translation. And if I'm not mistaken, that cult that was I call virgin was of the first year. It was a filly. That's the first year, right? Honey, where are you at? Philly? Under a year? Yeah, first year. Firstborn. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, first month of Bib. Pick it, choose it on the 10th. That's what, that's what really Jesus is doing. When the people are yelling, Hosanna, save now, they're choosing him as the Lamb of God. At the same moment, all the priests are out getting the lambs. They're inspecting them. At the same moment in the temple, they're deceiving all the people that have to come for the Passover festival. They're going, oh, what's wrong? Your lamb that you've brought your 100 miles to get here is just not going to do as a Passover lamb. I'm so sorry. What am I going to do? My house is 100 miles away. Oh, we've got some lambs that will do that will sell to you. But your lamb is not good enough. And they're deceiving all the people. And Jesus is coming in. If you remember it in the other text, what happens? There you go. Hosanna, Hosanna. And the lying, ruling authorities, the Pharisees say, Teacher, don't you hear what they're saying? Silence your apostles. And he says, If. If they don't speak out, the rocks will cry out. Because it's such an important date that the calendar's been waiting for this Passover festival to be fulfilled. He's going to ride into the city. He's going to scourge and beat and turn over tables and cleanse the temple. And then there's going to be four days of questioning and investigation that they ask him questions and they inspect him to see if he is the Lamb of God. Just like this Passover festival. And then at 9 o'clock, twilight, they're going to crucify him. The Lamb of God. We weren't purchased with silver and gold, but the precious blood of Jesus as a Lamb of God. The purchase possession. It all fulfills this Passover festival. Which keeps your New Testament theology in place if you look at what's going on here. So on the 10th, you would choose it. And you would investigate it, check it over, make sure you build a relationship with it for four days in your house till the 14th day. Five days if you count the 10th. Then the whole assembly of the congregation, those called out and governed by God, shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat, the place where you have fellowship, the place where you eat a meal. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread, with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Now it's really important. Notice they're using fire. They're roasting it in fire. See, the, the refining fire. God's a refining fire. He burns out. Notice it was, look, they shall eat the flesh. How do you deal with the flesh? It's, it's roasted in fire with unleavened bread. Leaven is always a type. Or, or um, leaven is uh, uh, 
representative of sin or the influence of sin and evil in the church or in the congregation. Um, and so they were supposed to remove that from their bread in that night. See, now it's important, and I'm sorry if I lose you. I don't want to lose you. But as Jesus is being led to the cross, it's going to be from 3 uh, to 9 o'clock, it's going to be darkness all over. And then at 9 o'clock at twilight, he's going to be nailed to that tree from 9 to 11. All of these things are important because right now you and I are in darkness. And we're supposed to be removing all the influence of sin from our lives, just like in the Passover festival. Now, positionally, we're in co-union with God, and that's why we take communion, because He instituted that in the last night of His life before He died for the church. Hope I didn't get all confused there. There's a lot going on here that's really deeper than just believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. There becomes obedience and a heart of obedience when the Spirit of God comes in. And then bitter herbs always speaks of suffering, and you shall eat it. It's having fellowship. Too much suffering shall we enter the kingdom of God. There's going to be some things that go on in that night, in that darkness. As we put the blood of Jesus over our doorposts, we're free. We know that it's going to pass over us, but there's going to be things that happen. Verse 9, do not eat it raw. That's important nor boiled at all in water, but roasted in fire. Its head and its legs and its entrails, every bit of it. It's uh, probably um, also pre-burnt offering, Leviticus 1, the first one, which means full dedication, because all of it's got to be gone by morning. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it, until morning you shall burn with the fire. That's how they did in Leviticus 1, the, dedicate, the fully dedicated. That's, Jesus is our fully dedicated. Everything's done, complete, finished in the darkness because he is the light, the new day. Verse 11, and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, huh? Huh? sandals on your feet, huh? Huh? Staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Notice who it belongs to. If you're purchased with the blood of Jesus, you belong to the Lord. Notice the belt of truth, Ephesians 6, 10. Notice uh, um, the sandals, the gospel, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then the staff in your hand for direction could be a resemblance or indicative of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But it is what we're supposed to be doing, putting on the armor of God, dressed a certain way, understanding that, being ready, being ready for the morning when He calls us out. Always being ready is a very important thing. It's a sad thing when somebody has a wedding and that bride isn't ready and everybody that's guest and everybody's standing there waiting. Well, with God, the door will be closed. We won't wait on anybody. That's why there's a rapture. That's why he snatches us out. In that movie, Before the Wrath, it's really cool that when they come to get the bride, they bring that, they bring this, I don't know, it's like that Chinese thing where they carry people around, except there's no wheels on it, and there's four guys carrying it, and they literally lift the bride up into the air and carry her back. 
to the Father's house. Just like the rapture is going to happen when we're caught up in the air. She is caught up in the air the whole way back, treated as a bride, treated as royalty, and brought back to the groom's house, the Father's house. It's an it's amazing typology. It's going to happen soon. Are you ready? You're supposed to always be ready, watching, waiting, working, ready, looking for His glorious appearing. Don't miss that day and hour. Remember the, the parable of the ten bridesmaids? Five of them had oil and they were ready and five of them didn't. And while those five went away to try to get oil and get ready, the door was closed. Same thing would happen with a Galilean wedding. If you weren't ready, you couldn't come later and just bust in. They locked the door. And only those people who were waiting and respecting you enough to be ready for your wedding to be consummated and, and came in are allowed to get in. It's very disrespectful in that Galilean wedding and in the body of Christ to not be looking for His glorious appearing, to not be turning your heart, to not be adorning yourself as a bride, to not be doing the works of the ministry. It is not a fear of God to be doing that, to think that just because I did something, I get to go to heaven. Just because I said a prayer, I get to go to heaven. You can't get in by works. You get in by your heart, believing in your heart. Confessing with your mouth. It can't be because you said a prayer. It has to be because of what you believe and what you do shows what you believe. And see, that's why churches are so full of apostate Christians that think that just because they said a prayer, they're okay. And they don't have to change their actions. They don't have to do anything different. They can disobey the Father all they want, ignore the Holy Spirit, and they're still going to get whisked away and caught up. It's not going to happen. It's false Christianity. It's a lie from the devil. It's culture-anity. It's demonology. The demons believe, but they don't obey. Now listen, I'm not saying, you better believe it and obey perfectly or you're going to hell. This isn't fire and brimstone. This is Christianity 101. If you believe, you begin to set your heart on obeying. Believing positional, obeying begins practical where you're training your heart not to do what Eve did. Not to make the bad choices. You get to say 1 John 1, 9 when you make the bad choices and act like Eve. But that's not where we stay. We're learning to obey and to follow, and be in the way, and do His work, and stop doing the devil's work. What's the devil's work? Some of these guys interfering. Jesus is healing a man, saying, stretch out your hand, and they go, it's not lawful to heal on the Sabbath. You can't heal people on the Sabbath. That's the devil's work. Trying to put people back in bondage to their own works. Put people back into bondage to man's opinion. Listen to me, I would be more apt to tell you that you can't be saved by walking forward and saying a prayer than to tell people that you're saved when you say a prayer. It would be more true biblically to say it the opposite way. And almost 100% of churches tell you, all you got to do is say a prayer, you'll be fine. It's not true. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, not if you say a prayer in front of somebody. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. 
It's not your works. So you just say in a prayer would be works. It's believing, trusting. And there's a constancy in that where you begin to follow and obey. And you're learning to obey and you mourn over your sin. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Not just crying, not just tears, but mourning over your sin, mourning over your disobedience, mourning over your your flesh that tries to get in the way of you wanting to be sanctified. Fully dedicated as Christ was for us as our example. Putting on Christ, the belt, the sandals. Righteousness is where I stand because of his breastplate of righteousness. I don't have any of my own. Verse 12, 12 of Passover, uh, Exodus 12. For I will pass through the land, this is God speaking, of Egypt on that night. The rapture is going to happen at night too. And that's figuratively. I don't even know that it's going to be at night because it's night down here now because of the darkness. Lawlessness will abound. Darkness. Sin is lawlessness and lawlessness is sin. But the typology works. He rescues at night. And will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt. I'm going to kill all your priests and your false gods because you can't do nothing to me. If you could, if you could alter my word, if you could change anything, if you could interfere, I wouldn't be God. See, the message gets clearly to everybody. If anybody could stop it, then he's not really God. Nobody can stop him because they're all false gods. Both man and beast And this this is towards, against all the gods, all the false gods, little g of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Why is he doing it? I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign. Read the book of John. All about signs. Ooh. Can't be saved by a sign. Evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, but none will be given except for the Son of Man being in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over, not kill you. And the plague, oh, interesting. Are we in a plague? No, it's a pandemic shall not be on you to destroy you. You will, yet when you, or excuse me, you when I strike the land of Egypt. Listen, I wasn't saying that disrespectfully. If you've lost a loved one because of COVID, I wasn't, I wasn't being disrespectful. But it's a plan of the devil. It's not a plan of God. Nobody was supposed to die in God's plan. And once again, if you believe in the blood and it's covering you, You won't die. You now have eternal life. It's only the devil that wants to scare you with death. It's only the devil that wants to shake the wages of sin at you. If you know Jesus, you don't have anything to fear. You can relax. You can rest. When judgment is handed out, just like here, if they put the blood, if they did the work, if they obeyed the word, if they went and did what God said and untied the colt and brought it back, and if they had trouble, they said, but God said, I have need of it. If you do the same thing, 
when your flesh says, I'm going to go do this instead of going and doing what God said, you go, wait a minute, the Lord has need of your vessel right now. I'm going to obey. I'm going to die to self. I'm going to follow Jesus. Instead of going doing what I want to do, I'm going to lay my life down as Jesus did. There's the evidence. When the death angel comes to judge the whole nation and kill all the false gods and the disobedient that wouldn't turn his children loose, he said, if you have that blood on your doorpost, I'll pass over. And you won't die. That blood came from the lamb. It's all a type, a picture. It it prefigures Christ on this day that we're seeing in Mark chapter 11. Where he's chosen on the 11th when they say, Hosanna, save now. They're saying, we believe you are the son of David. You're the Messiah. You're the one that was supposed to come and save us from our sin. See, they still got issues, though, because they still think that he's going to Jerusalem to set up the kingdom. And they don't realize that he comes the first time on a donkey, the second time on a white horse, which is what a conquering king does when he comes to rescue after he's raptured the church. He raptures the church, and then there's a seven-year tribulation where he pours out his wrath upon the unbelieving world. The ones who would not obey the truth, would not listen and be covered in the blood, would not believe the witness and testimony that was given by the church. They would not set their hearts toward home. And then, of course, there's going to be a millennial reign for a thousand years where we receive rewards and and get our uh, uh, orderly ranking is a good way to put it of where we will be positioned and placed and what we will do in the millennial kingdom as we rule and reign. Children will be born and then the devil will be loose for a little period And those people who were born during the millennial kingdom will have a chance to disobey God again with him right there in presence. The angels did it. They they believed the lie of the devil and they were in the presence of God, worshiping God. Yet we think we can just do it our way. Said a prayer, I'm okay. We don't need the Holy Spirit or the Word of God. All we need to do is say a prayer. It's sad because there's deception because preachers won't just teach the truth and say what they're supposed to say when they're questioned. But they want to make it really easy for their congregation to hear so they'll come back. Personally, I'm trying to preach the place empty. That's what Jesus did. He spoke truth and they all went away. And in John 6, 6, 6, he said to the disciples, will you go away also? And they said, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. These are the words of eternal life. And we don't have eternal life if we ignore the word of God and the blood of Jesus. What we have is eternal death still. And as 2 Corinthians 4 says, the God of this age has blinded our eyes if we don't understand this truth and surrender as children. And deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow after him. Not for salvation, but because of salvation. I better get going. I think we're close to two hours now. 13, Exodus 12, 13. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. Where are you today? Is there blood on your house? 
the blood of Jesus. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. That's why it's called a pass over. You're not going to be killed, not judged for your uh, being in that land. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you, to take your life. You destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. He's coming to strike this earth. So this day shall be to you a memorial. It's a remembrance. It's Independence Day. And you will keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by the everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses... For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from those governed by God, from Israel. Listen to me. It's a very important verse there. If you want to say that we get our New Testament uh, a doctrine from Old Testament types and prefigurements, the adult males were supposed to get rid of all the leaven from the bread. See, there's no leaven in Christ, and He's the bread of life. So our place to be is to get rid of. We're working on sanctification. We're removing all of the sin or evil from our hearts, our lives, our houses, where the blood of Jesus is over it. Positionally, He did that. Practically, you and I are supposed to be doing that. That's our call. From the day that we meet Him, the first day. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. On the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. In other words, the lamb. Everything that we're supposed to be doing now, our work has ceased. We've become at rest. Everything that we're doing is only the work of God. Preparing that lamb, preparing that witness, preparing that testimony. Having him transform our hearts. That's what that's talking about right there. Nothing else can be done on that day. This is that day. It's the day of your salvation, your deliverance from the sin nature. The only thing we're supposed to be doing is focusing our heart toward his work, his kingdom for his glory. It's interesting. This is interesting. Listen, while Jesus was going through his normal life, walking to Jerusalem, the end of his course was he knew was he's anointed lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But he was doing normal things. But his focus was always on where he was going. That's how you and I are supposed to live. See, all the festivals, it's really, it's amazing thing that all the festivals that were in the Old Testament all point to something else. Right now is the beginning of the seventh month. Yes, it was, it was Saturday. Was it yesterday? I think it was Friday night and Saturday was the beginning of months for the nation of Israel on their calendar. Which is really, it's their holy month. It's their seventh month, which begins with the Feast of Trumpets. And then on the tenth day, it's the Feast of Atonement, Yom Kippur, or representing Christ giving his life as a sacrifice. It paid for once and for all. That's what they would do. The high priest would go into the most holy place and give a sacrifice for pay for all the nation's sins for one more year to the next year. But then there's another festival that went on also after that, which is the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles. It's prefiguring, looking forward to the house that our groom is building on the Father's house. 
They look back at what they did when they lived in booths. The Feast of Booths is another way. In the wilderness. As they were going to their promised land. Which they rejected. And they all lay dead in the wilderness because of what? They hardened their hearts and they didn't obey. They didn't mix it with faith and obey God. Hebrews tells us. So they ended up dead. They never got to the promised land. Because they didn't obey the word. The word that was near them, that was in their heart, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's what's going on in the nation of Israel right now. They're looking at that. Their most holiest month. The three festivals that have not been completely fulfilled yet. Because the trump in God is going to sound. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are remain will meet the Lord in the air. We'll be carried away as a bride. Whisk away to God. And we're to encourage one another with these words. Looking forward to Jesus coming and being prepared as a bride is a picture that we're supposed to understand and have joy. And everything that we do is about getting ready to be that bride and be whisked away because we're watching for His glorious appearing. Everything that we're doing is being a witness. What are you doing? Why are you putting on them clothes? Why are you getting that? Why are you buying that? Because I'm getting ready for my groom to come get me and take me to heaven. Why would you not go to the bar with us tonight? Because I'm getting ready to go away and I don't want to be caught in that place sleeping and slumbering and living like the world. I'm getting prepared as a bride so that when my master comes, when my groom comes, he's been away building me a house and I'm so excited that he's coming. Think about it if that was just an earthly and your husband is away, and he's, he's in the army, or he's in the Air Force, or he's just away on a job out of town, and you're wanting him to come back and get you and whisk you away, and you live happily ever after like the fairy tales. People would be all giddy and go, oh, that's so cool. I'm planning for my wedding. We're talking about eternity and God's son coming to get us. And we're like, did you get the new phone? I got the new phone. Did you get that one new app? I got the new app. Now, that stuff's not evil, but it's evil if you ignore God and ignore that you're a bride and ignore that he's coming and ignore being a witness while you're doing it. Jesus was talking to them about practical things. He was healing people, but he wasn't ignoring what he was called for and the witness he was given and the thing that he was doing. He was being led by the Spirit as the Lamb of God who was going to go and lay down his life. Sorry, I got a little excited there. 12.16, on the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation. It's all holy. These are the real holidays. The holidays that the world makes are not holidays. No manner of work shall be done in them, but that which everyone must eat. What are you eating? Is it the bread of life? Is it unleavened bread? Is it pure and undefiled without blemish? Are you preparing that? So you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It kind of morphs into the Feast of Passover, which was the first day. Feast of Unleavened Bread is seven days. I believe on the eighth day, which is the number of new beginnings, is when it's over. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. On the eighth day, for on the same day I will have brought your armies, your tribes, out of the land of Egypt. Rescued. 
Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. We now celebrate it as communion because he fulfilled the Passover and we're waiting because that's what we do. We do it in memorial. We do it in remembrance of his death, burial, and resurrection. And we know that he's coming back to take your chosen home. Now, when you look at that in the text, in 1 Corinthians, the very next text starts talking about obedience and purifying your heart and search me, O God, and know. It starts talking about judging yourself so that God doesn't have to judge you and chastise you. Same thing is going on here. It's all the same thing. We're supposed to be dealing with our hearts, and we fall so short. So, Lord, we ask for strength and your conviction and a desire to deny self and take up our cross and follow you. Verse 18. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether you are a stranger or a native of the land. Now, he just said that the second time. Let it be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourself according to the family. Watch, he's going to be a witness of what God told him to do. Just like these boys did when two of them went to get the colt. They obeyed and did exactly what they were called to do. And kill the Passover lamb, and you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood on the basin, and strike the lintel on the doorpost and the blood in the base. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, the new day, for the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer, the death angel, to come into your house to strike you. And you shall observe this stain as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord your God, which, which the Lord will give you just as he promised that you shall Keep this service, and it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service that you shall say? It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. See, this, that's why we worship, is because God has delivered us from the sin nature. If you don't sing the songs, if you don't worship, if you don't have a heart to, to bow down and follow and obey God, it's because you really haven't been delivered from your sin nature, and your fear is upon God, and you're not building a love relationship with God. See, because you come to Him because of His goodness. When you still fear Him, and you're afraid of death, and you're afraid of Him, that's because you're not sure that you have this love relationship. But if you build that love relationship by obedience, by getting in the word, prayer, and fellowship, you're not going to fear your spouse. Why would you fear him? You can reverence him, respect him. Just like in Ephesians 5, it says, See that you wives respect your husband as he lays down his life and loves you. But when you build a love relationship through, through mutual desires and through mutual life and through doing the same thing and being in the way together, you don't have to be afraid because you know that your sins have been taken care of by the blood of Jesus. They bowed their heads in worship. Then the children of Israel went away and did so. 
just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And God's looking at your heart. He's looking at the intent of your heart. Uh, so if you go away and you're trying to do it right, but if your plan is not to do it right so that you can get away with your flesh, see, he knows the intent of your heart. But if your heart is right and you go away and you try to do it, it's better to go away and try to do it for God and, and let him clean it up and get grace on it than for you to go away and try to do your own thing. He'll take care of it if you trust him. So they're saying, Hosanna, it's the triumphal entry. And most people say, oh, it wasn't very triumphal, but it was. You have to look at the end of it. He triumphed over death, triumphed over sin. He set us free who believe. And then it says, verse 11, Mark chapter 11, and Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. We'll learn a little bit more about that next week, God willing. So when he had looked around at all things, the hour was already late. Listen to me. The hour is already late right now. The sky could burst open any minute and Jesus come as a thief in the night. Let him look around in your temple, in your heart, in your sanctuary. Let him search you. Ask him to search me and know me and try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. The hour is late. The night is far spent. We live in perilous times. What are you following? Whose way are you in? He went out to Bethany with the twelve. Date house. We don't know the day or the hour. I'm playing on the word. A date is a food. I'm playing on the date. No one does, but the father does. If you look at a Galilean wedding, only the father knew when the house was ready. Only the father knew when the banqueting table was ready. Only the father would get up and go, son, go get your bride. It's time. That's the way they practice it on purpose because there was such respect in the family, such honor for the father. That the arranged wedding, the dowry was paid by the father. How did your father pay for your dowry? By giving you his most prized possession, his son. On a cross, he poured out his blood. And we should pay that respect and honor and glory and worship back to God. Who would love us so much that he would give everything to redeem us. When we didn't even know we were lost. And we still live like we're not lost when we are confused in a culture instead of living in a love relationship with a God who poured out his blood on a cross for us. Are you in the way with Christ, following him, walking out your salvation, working it out with fear and trembling? Or are you still playing with your phone and chasing a life of death, being deceived by the devil, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And it's going to be even worse to be cast into hell fire where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. And I pray that nobody under the sound of my voice ever would do that when we have such a great salvation before us. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you that there's forgiveness for anyone who comes. Thank you that the gift is for whomsoever. Thank you, Lord, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. But we pray, Lord, 
that you would help us get our eyes fixed upon Jesus and be in the way following. And we would look to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation of souls. We know that's what you came for, Lord. We pray that that would be important to our hearts as we build our love relationship with you. That all of the bridesmaids that you want to be there would be there. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I